Well, good morning. How you doing on this cold day? Man, can we give a big round of applause for the snow crew that just keeps... I am really looking forward to not praising them anymore this year. Please, please, please. Does anyone have a connection to ask for that? My goodness. Well, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carnegie Free. If we haven't yet met, I'd love to connect with you after the service. We are moving today into a new message series titled Two Roads. And it's choosing the hard path of Jesus when religion is so very easy. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 today, and you can turn there with me if you'd like. You also see the passages up on the screen if you didn't happen to bring a Bible here today. But each week here, we endeavor to look at a passage or two far from the Scriptures. And in this series, well, we're going to look at a number of passages from the lips of Jesus for us related to obedient faith. It's been said, you make your choices, and then your choices make you. Yikes. But this is true, isn't it? We make our choices, and then over time, our choices make us. And so what we'd like to do here in this series is talk about the power of obedient faith, making choices down the narrow and more challenging and certainly much more exhilarating and fulfilling road of Jesus Christ as we seek to follow him across all of life. Uh, This past seven weeks, if you've been here, we've been in this message series called Unstuck. And uh, it it was, uh, I think, a really good message series. At least it was for me. I pray that it was for you as well. What we're going to do here starting today is is take a turn a little bit and move up even a little bit higher. We've moved from getting unstuck and we have to keep on bringing the things that pin us to the ground to the cross of Jesus and we do that again and again and again. But now we move and we seek to elevate the standard even a little bit more as we begin to pursue uh, God and obedience and all that he has for us. I've been a Christian now for 22 years, and I am firmly convinced after 22 years above being a Christian and watching the overflow of the Christian life in so many people's lives, I am firmly convinced of this. The life of abundance is found on the path of obedience. Let me say that again. The life of abundance is found on the pathway of of obedience. It's not found through other paths. It's found in the path of obedience to Christ. We're at this very interesting fork on the road of American Christianity across the centuries. For the very first time, I would say in the past couple decades, perhaps a little bit before that time, but certainly building over the past decade or two, we're at a time in the history of American Christianity in which people actually think that following Jesus is optional. There are people who name Christ, who call themselves Christians, who go to him as Savior, but for the first time perhaps in American history, there are many, increasingly, there's a cultural trend where people say, I go to him as my Savior, 
but I don't really follow him as my Lord. And that is tragically increasing. And it becomes what we would call cultural Christianity, cultural religion, a very easy, very wide path where I'm basically going to do what I want to do, but I'll take a little bit of Jesus on the side, please. Let me give up a few examples as we seek to kind of paint the cultural landscape of what is going on in religion today. Consider how, for example, and I do not mean to step on some toes, but I will, uh, and, and steps on my toes too, okay? This is for all of us. This is for all of us because this is the cultural water that we are drinking right now when it comes to religion in America. But consider how it's become normal for Christians to get drunk or high on Friday and to dress up on their Sunday best on Sunday morning. Or consider how it's become normal for other Christians to rail against drunkenness all the while turning a blind eye toward greed or gluttony in their own lives. Or consider the ways that people are now combining religious pathways that are diametrically opposed to each other on many, many levels. I came to faith through studying various religions of the world. More on that on some other day. But the main religions of the world are fundamentally different and superficially similar. They're fundamentally different. And yet we're hearing people again and again call themselves Zen Christians. As if these two different paths, Buddhism and Christianity, could be combined. They cannot. They're two different paths. Or people who are uh, doing yoga, and not just for the stretches, not just for the physical exercise, but they're doing the chanting. And they're doing the yoga meditation, which is intrinsically tied to Hinduism. And Hinduism is diametrically opposed to Christianity on so many different levels. And yet trying to do both of those paths at once, it, it, it won't happen. Or, or you think of people who are railing against homosexual sin, and yet they're winking against God's standards of sexual sin in their own lives. And just kind of ignoring God's standards in their own lives. This is all over the place. Consider the idea of sharing your faith. There was a recent, recent poll by the Barna Group that indicated 47% of Christians who are a part of the millennial generation say, not only do I not share my faith, it would actually would be wrong for me to share my faith with others. Wow. Now, it's not just millennials. It's people of all different generations that are in that saying, oh, no, that would be an imposition of my will and my business upon yours. No, this is life-giving water. Jesus is our life-giving water, and so we'd want to give life and water to others. These are two different paths. There are pastors, tragically, today, you hear about them in the news, who teach on humility and the sacrifice and the life-giving service of Christ, and yet they go down because of a power grab going after more power in their own lives. These are two different paths. And all of us can be tempted by these different paths and many, many others, but these are common ways of getting on the very wide road that leads to destruction. It's kind of like to use contemporary language, sitting on the fence, 
How does that sound, to sit on the fence? That sounds painful to me. Anyone else sit on a picket fence? That sounds painful. Okay, but that's what we're trying to do in our culture today, is kind of sit on the fence between salvation from Christ and obedience to Christ as Lord. Jesus, I am quite confident, would call this strange and impossible. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, what's going on in this passage? This is part of Jesus' broader teaching in his longest sermon that is called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5 through 7, all three chapters. In Matthew 5, what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is available to you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been from, no matter how much you're mourning, no matter how poor or rich you might be, God's not done with you. The kingdom of God is available to you today, the, the best of all good news. In chapter 6, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he raises them a number of levels. The Ten Commandments mostly focus on outward activity. Jesus takes them to the deepest parts of the heart. It's not just about murder, it's about anger. It's not just about lying, it's about being a person who your yes is your yes. You, you see, it's going deeper to, to the level of the heart. It's not just about giving the tenth of your income. It's about a life of generosity. That's chapter 6. Chapter 7 goes on to this life of obedience in which we say it's not about judgmentalism. I can't be a judge of anyone. And what God invites me to do is to love others as I would want them to love me, live out the golden rule, and to live out this life in which there's these beautiful fruit growing on these branches but because I'm so connected to the vine of Christ and that I would have a life that is found on the rock of Jesus. It's the ongoing life of obedient faith that is described throughout Matthew chapter 7. He is saying, in essence, that the daily life of abundance is found in the pathway of obedience. And he says specifically in these two verses, the wide and narrow paths are less, I want to argue to you, the wide and narrow paths are less about your individual decision for faith in Jesus than they are about your daily decisions to follow and obey Christ each and every day. It's the ongoing decisions of life uh, that we make that he refers to with the narrow path. Now, there is an entrance into the door that has to do with eternity. Make no mistake about that. You enter through this narrow door called Jesus, and that opens up the way to eternity. But, like, would you want to go to the king's palace and just enter into the door and then just stay there in the doorway? Like, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? No, you enter into the king's palace through the narrow door, and then you explore the road of the beauty of the king's palace with the king showing you the way as you see the whole of his property. And that is the Christian life. The beginning is through the narrow door, and that's how we initially become Christians, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that through him we might become the righteousness of God, as we talked about last Sunday. It begins there, but it doesn't stop there. It continues on with this life 
of faith, this life of daily decisions, walked in obedience of faith to Christ who has given us life. You see, the simple truth is, we will not kind of wander onto the narrow road. It is unlikely that we will ever get unstuck, as we talked about last week, these last seven weeks, let alone move on to the life of holiness and deep personal connection with God. It's unlikely that we'll experience any of those in a casual or haphazard way. It requires a focused intentionality. The daily decisions of life. This is why Jesus says in the parallel passage over in Luke chapter 13, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and not be able. It takes effort to walk on the narrow path. We receive grace of God, which forgives us of our sins, brings us to eternal life, all by his grace, and then it takes effort to walk on the narrow path. Now, this may seem really, really obvious to many of you, less obvious to, to others, but this is really a basic starting point for what we would call apprenticeship, discipleship to Jesus. What we're going to do here in this series is recast the vision for what Jesus wants for us as his apprentices. That we look at the words of Jesus again and again and remember that he has this vision for our lives. And it includes this life on the narrow road of things like this. Loving one's friends and loving one's enemies. Like really. Not just talking about it, that that's a nice trite idea from the lips of Jesus, but actually doing it. Or moving from bitterness to forgiveness. It's the narrow road of monogamy when promiscuity is all around us. It's the narrow road of living the same on Sunday as you live on Monday. It's the narrow road of integrity. It's the narrow road of holiness that leads to a steady life which will hold us when the storms start coming our way. Look down at verse 24 as Jesus gives another teaching with this language of the storms and the ways that our lives are founded, be it on the rock or be it on sand. He says in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, I might underline that in my Bible. Everyone who hears these words of mine but chooses not to put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Somebody should turn this into a nice little ditty for kids. That has a little ring to it. Hear me now. The distinction that Jesus is making in this passage is not between those who hear his word and those who do not hear his word. That's not it. The distinction is this. It's between those who hear his word and obey his word. 
and those who hear his word and choose not to obey his word. And the simple fact is, as Jesus is noting here, those who hear his word and obey it are few. Those who hear his word and choose not to obey it are many. Now, I don't know what you're feeling right now, but I can imagine maybe some are saying, man, we just came off this great series, Unstuck. It was kind of like uplifting to me. And now you're talking about obedience and holiness. Adrian, I don't really want to hear about holiness. I don't really want to hear about obedience. Listen, like life is hard. I, I just, all I really want is just to be happy. Anyone feeling that way? Listen, I get that. And I want that too. But the goal of the Christian life is not happiness. I know that sounds like blasphemy in America. The goal of the Christian life is not happiness. The goal of the Christian life is holiness. The goal of the Christian life is being conformed more and more to the likeness of Jesus Christ as we lean into him day in and day out. And happiness is a wonderful byproduct of our faith. It's a wonderful byproduct of holiness, but it cannot be the goal. If you aim at happiness, you will get neither happiness nor holiness. But if you aim at holiness, then happiness can be the byproduct of it over time. Because what happens is we lean into Jesus day in and day out. We seek to follow him on a daily basis, conform our decisions to him, ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit, spend time with him each and every day. And then what happens is we begin to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, which is called love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, which is the most beautiful description of the abundant life that you'll ever find anywhere. It's not happiness, it's holiness, and happiness is the byproduct of that. This is what he invites us to. I, I can't tell you what music that is to my ears in our current cultural climate that couldn't give two red pennies about what Jesus actually calls us to. To hear you clap for that. I can't tell you what music that is to my ears. Because this world will tell you that the goal is happiness. And this world will tell you the goal is money. Or the goal is success. Or the goal is status. Or the goal is a power grab. And Jesus would say no. None of those things will lead to abundance. The goal is living life for God's honor and his good, living for his holiness, founding our lives on him, and living in conformity to him. This is why in our Next Generation Ministries, for example, we work really hard to help parents be the primary faith trainers for their kids because we want to equip you to lead in your spiritual life. We want to equip adults to lead in their spiritual life. The last thing that we want here at Carnegie Free is for a whole bunch of people to make decisions for Christ, and then we as leaders here at Carnegie Free say, yippee, Godspeed, good luck, we'll see you on the other side. Like that ain't going to do it. We need discipleship. We need this pursuit of holiness. We need to equip one another to lead in 
our most important relationships in our own personal relationship with God, there's a leadership that must happen there that is called discipleship. So I'm so grateful for Lindsay and Kent and Jordan and the way they pour that into our kids and into our families such that we would build up not just believers but disciples. What we need is houses that are rebuilt on the rock who is Christ because the simple fact is, and we all know this, the storms are coming to both houses, aren't they? Like, whether your house is built on the sand or your house is built on the rock, the storms are coming, aren't they? But if your house is built on the sand, it will not stand. If it's built on the rock, who is Christ, then you will stand, even through the storms of suffering. Now, I'm just going to admit on the front end that what we're talking about over these next eight weeks is going to be easier for some of us than it is for others of us. And here's the reason. Some of us in this room today, due to no fault of your own, uh, were built on a kind of shaky foundation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there are people in this room who have come from really, really healthy, robust, wonderful families where things went really well and they learned how to deal with conflict resolution. They learned how to obey from a very young age. And there's others that didn't. And if you didn't come from that, it's going to be harder for you to begin to follow the very narrow road of Christ and be built on the rock of Christ. But it can be done. It totally can be done. I was talking to a couple in our church a number of weeks ago. I had a couple different conversations with them actually over the past number of years, but it came up again a couple weeks ago. Brad and Sharon Brandt. And uh, Brad and Sharon are two of our prayer leaders here, and Brad leads our R3 recovery ministry on Monday nights, does such a great job to help people begin to build their lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. And I was talking to them about their lives and when they uh, got married and, and how they just didn't know how to do this thing called Christianity. They simply didn't know how to do it. And so they were kind of colliding with each other because what they had learned about relationships wasn't all that helpful when it came to obeying Christ. And they didn't know how to do conflict resolution. They didn't know how to follow this very narrow road. It was a struggle for them. But they struggled together for the past 16 or 17 years, and now their lives are very much built on the rock of Christ, such they are being used through their weakness for other people to help them in their weakness all to the glory of God. And they're in very good health right now. They're leaders in this church. But if you know Brad and Sharon, you've talked to them. It wasn't always that way. So it can be done, even if it began on a shaky foundation. Did I get that right? Okay. It can be done, even if it begins on a very shaky foundation. Perhaps you've heard, when is the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago, actually. Okay. But that's the second best time to plant a tree. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, wasn't it? So it'd be this nice big oak, giving you shade, right? Friends, the second best day to plant a tree is today. Spring, come quickly. That's the second best day to plant a tree. You just got to start from right where you are and commit yourself to the narrow road. Commit yourself to building your house on a rock. The life of abundance is found on the pathway of obedience. Last Sunday was one of the most powerful Sundays of my life in in any church that I've served. 
to see hundreds, perhaps over a thousand of you, come forward with these labels and to drop them in these buckets and to hear again that you are fully known with all of your stuff and fully loved that you are a child of God and those old labels don't define you and they need not shame you anymore and I'm going to take those labels off and put them in the trash where they belong and be redefined by Christ. You took the next step. You took the next step. And that's what the Christian life is. It begins with a a crucial turning moment like that in which you take the next step and you say, I identify with Christ, and then you take the next step. And then the next step. And then the next. And it turns into this disciplined lifestyle of obedience where at once it was so difficult to follow him one day, it becomes so much easier to follow him several years from now. And that's what he would invite us to. In just a moment here, we're going to have nine people baptized. This past series, we had a whole bunch of people come to know the Lord. It was was great. We had one person baptized in the first service. Others that are thinking about it here for for our next baptismal service in the coming months. We're going to have nine people come up on stage and be baptized. And, And I want you to know what is so cool as you watch these people is they've taken a number of next steps. They've chosen to obey Christ. Baptism is number one a step of obedience to Christ, that he invites us to be identified with him, he commands us to be baptized as believers. And the number two, it's a testimony to you. And so the folks that are going to come up on stage, they took the time last Sunday night to go through a baptism class and to write down their story of conversion and the difference that Christ is making in their life now, and to have that story videotaped, and then to come here today, even though many of them do not like the spotlight, they're choosing to come up on stage and be baptized to share their story of conversion with you. And friends, this is really what it is. It's just choosing to walk on the pathway that is very narrow at times of obedience and trusting that over time, God is going to bring about abundance for His glory and for our good. Let me just close with this. The way of discipleship is challenging. It's hard at times. But friends, as we all know, as we see all the time when we look around our world, the way of non-discipleship is way harder. Isn't it? The way of discipleship is hard. The way of non-discipleship is treacherous. So Father, we ask that you would bring us off that wide road. (laughs) And we ask that you would bring us onto the very narrow road, that we would walk in obedience with Christ. I don't know what's on my friends' minds here today as they hear this message. Perhaps they're looking at something in their lives where they recognize they've been riding on the fence. Perhaps they look at something in their mind that they recognize they've been walking on a path that is wide and leads to destruction. And I ask, Lord, that you would uh, take the words that have been given here though this morning and perhaps they would go down into the soul and you'd use those as seeds that would germinate and they would well up to something in us that we would desire, not just to treat you as Savior, but also to treat you as Lord. Father, we recognize that in this church we can make a great difference for the kingdom of God if we are walking together on the narrow path But we also recognize that if we choose to walk 
in the way that the world does, we won't make much of a difference to anyone. We'll look just like everyone. And we recognize, God, that you've called us to something bigger and better than that. So please help us, Lord. We give ourselves to you, both for today and throughout this sermon series, that you would help us to walk down the narrow path and to pursue you, to follow you with our whole hearts, and to trust in you that indeed, over time, a life of obedience will bring about the joy of abundance. May it be for each of us, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus and God's people say, amen, amen.